Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. So we're in Jonah 4, verse 4 to the end today. The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, the Lord appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. That sounds like a gangster worm. I mean, the plant was big enough to cover him, and the, and the worm killed it, man. I, must have, I don't know. All right, anyway, all right. And this, as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, this is not just, oh, it's windy. Like, this is, this is the kind of winds in the desert that could kill you, okay? Um, we just don't understand that because we don't live in a desert climate. Um, all right, where am I? The sun beat down on, so much on Jonah's head that it, he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. Where's Tanya at? Can you hear me out there, Tanya? That's you, right, with the, with the heat? He wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Yes, he replied. It's right. I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> Jonah's got issues, man. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you didn't labor for and did not grow. It appeared in night, and it perished also in night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, who has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? So basically, what we learned is last week is we, we moved from revival. So we're all proud, independent, self-impressed people. We need to be revived in the gospel. So God cracks our stubborn hearts and gives us faith, and we're like, yes, I get it. I'm buying the gospel that I sell. I'm not just selling something I'm not buying. But then last Sunday, we talked about how we relapse. So we revive, and then we relapse to the, back, the same old self-righteous, proud person. And then we say, this is just inevitable. This is where we go. So here's my question that I want to answer. What do we need in light of the fact that we're always relapsing? To our self-righteous, proud, we're better than people self. What do we need in light of the fact that we relapse all the time? You ready? Here's the first thing. What do we need in light of the fact that we relapse and go back to our self-righteous selves? We need dialogue, not more doings. Dialogue, not more doings. Look what it says. The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? So check it out. This is not just we're reading about Jonah talking to God in this book of the Bible, what we're seeing here is that this is how we're supposed to deal with our proud stubbornness. We're supposed to talk to God about it. So this conversation is not just a conversation in the Bible. It's God saying that you need to deal with your relapsing pride by talking to God, not just doing something else. Now, I think there's some things that we do when we find that we're like that selfish person. We know we do different things. We'll, we'll just go do something selfish. Like, yeah, I am selfish, so now I'm going to go do something for me. That's how, that's how we respond. Or we'll talk to our little inner circle of people. We'll talk to our friends. We'll talk to our fan circle. You'll talk to yourself. And then you'll go on Facebook and you'll have a conversation with the culture, not, not, not a verbal one, but you, and, you, and, you, and you do all this stuff. But you don't do one thing. You don't talk to God about it. You talk to everybody else. Here's a picture that may be helpful. You know, you know, you know the married people when they have problems? 
and they go and tell everyone else, their friends and their, and their, and their buddies about the marriage problems, and you know, you know who they don't talk to? Their spouse. That's what we do, beloved. We got God problems. We got pride. And God's like, listen, talk to me about it. God is not an idea, a philosophy, a bunch of facts, or just a power. God is a being who's personal that you can talk to. So what do we do as we relapse? We talk to a real God who really hears us about our problems. He wants to hear. Number one, what do we do? We talk to God about our pride issues, about our struggles, not just go on doing other things. So number one, we need to be dialoguing with God, not just doing stuff. Second, we need self-awareness, not just other awareness. Self-awareness, not just other awareness. So the Lord asks a question, is it right for you to be angry? Now, why does God ask a question when he knows the answer? Because God is trying to get something out of Jonah that Jonah doesn't know. So even like in the garden when God's like, where are you at, Adam? <laughs> and it's like God's like asking a question. He wants Adam to know where he's at by the question. So what, what, when God is asking these questions, he wants Jonah to be self-aware of how problematic he is. Because what was Jonah's problem? He knew about everybody else's problems, right? He knew about Nineveh's issues and their junk and their drama. He was really aware of how, how nasty those Ninevites were, right? But he knew nothing about how nasty he was. And God's like, I'm asking you questions because you need to know about what's up with your junk, your sin, not just what's wrong with them. Okay? So sometimes you guys drive with, uh, with coffee that you drank most of it or water you drank most of it, but you didn't realize you drank all of it. And you don't know that it's there. And then all of a sudden you hit a bump and like, like you see the coffee just like ricochet around the car. Like, man, I didn't know it was there. But when we hit something, it, it brings it out. That's what God's doing right here. We don't know things about our own sin and problems. And God will bring some kind of ricochet conversation where it comes out so we can know. Now, beloved, if I'm honest with y'all, you guys have PhDs on other people's sin. Correct? You know all about your kids' sins, right? You got a PhD. You got a master's degree on that stuff. And wives, you know all about your husband's sins, don't you? You know them perfectly. And husbands, you know all about your wife's sins, right? You got a PhD on his sins. And you church people, we, we know all about the people and, and the church's problems, Right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, you know, that person, you know, this person. And we know all about Miami sinners, right? Oh, rude people. Cut me off in traffic. But you know what? You need a PhD on your junk, not other people's junk. You know what I'm saying? You need to be self-aware of your stuff. Get a PhD, get a master's degree on your sin problems as opposed to just always knowing about other people's sin problems. You understand? I feel like it's quiet. Okay? Is that, is that just me? Is this just the AC out? Or does it just feel quiet? 
Beloved, if, if I, if I, honestly, as a pastor, if I could say one of the most important things for Christians is to be self-aware. We're not. We're not self-aware. And God is saying, listen, relapser, I want you to be self-aware of how problematically sinful you can be, not just be a master of other people's sins. So what do we need in our relapse? We need more dialogue, less just doing stuff, more self-awareness, not just other windows. Thirdly, we need more grace, not less. More grace, not less. The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah sat east of the city and sat down and he... He made himself a shelter and sat in it because of shade to see what would happen to the city. Look, Jonah, this is what he's doing. All these people just repented and trusted me. And I'm going to sit over here and hope that they turn back to their sin and God kills them. Is that, re- is, is that absurd? That's almost like, man, I preached the gospel in Miami and thousands of people came to Christ, and now I'm going to go on a boat. I'm going to go on Kevin's boat, and I'm just going to wait for them to go back to their sin and die. Yes. Dude, this is awful. And on top of that, look what he's doing to God. He's telling God what to do. God, yeah, I'm mad at you. I have a right to be mad at you because clearly I'm the judge. I'm the guy who knows everything. If you just listen to me. So he's arguing with God. He's accusing God, and he's sitting over there fantasizing about the death of people. And what does God do? What would you do? What would you do, man, if, if he was God? I know what I would do. Sakao Jonah. Done, homie. You, you crazy. God provides a plant to give him comfort, it says, in the midst of his unrepentant insanity doesn't judge, doesn't destroy him. He gives him a plant and then has a conversation with him to help him see his sin. Beloved, I think what we think a lot of times when we're struggling with our pride is, is, is we think that God needs to kick us to the curb or we, and we need to kick ourselves to the curb, right? Some of y'all are kicking yourself to the curb all the time to deal with like your, your jacked up problems. Or some of you may think, you know, I, I, don't, I just need to walk away from God and disappear for a while That'll kind of solve the problems I have with my proud, stubborn, I'm in more better than other people heart. Or some of you, you think, I need to go to some place where I have some bully preacher who's always hitting me in the face with threats. Now, that's most of Miami churches, correct? I'm I'm, I'm asking you a question. What do you think is fair that the common most church is you go there and the pastor shames you and beats you up because you're, 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 you, you stink. Is that fair to say? Why, why is that so popular? Because we think that's the solution to our jacked up pride. But what this is saying is, do you know what crushes and breaks your pride is unrelenting, unmotivated, relentless grace of God? Let me ask you a question. Y'all remember the, the prodigal story? Is anyone here familiar with the prodigal story? So uh, let me just cliff notes. So basically this kid is like, Dad, I want you to die so I can get all your stuff. So why don't you just give it to me now because I don't really care about your life. So he takes 
all of that stuff, and he goes away from everything religious, everything about God, to live like an NFL player on the Cowboys, okay? Y- y'all get that joke? Like the Dallas Cowboys are always in some kind of drama because they're partying and some, something, right? And, and notice something. What brings him back home? My father is a kind and gracious and tender person. Therefore, I am leaving this prodigal life and going back. It is, it is the kindness of God, Romans 1 or 2, that leads us to repentance. So what do you need? Perpetually proud, I'm better than husband, better than Miami, better than them. What do you need? You need grace upon grace to haunt you and grip you and bring you back. Not this kicking yourself to the curbness. Pride, your pride, your, 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 I'm, I'm so amazing, needs to meet God's humility. That's what brings us. So we need grace, more grace, not less. Um, here's the fourth thing I see here. We need to remember more than regulate. Remember more than regulate. Look at it says, Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there. Now let me explain to you. That word shelter is the word tabernacle. Tabernacle is, 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 is it's, it's the word of it's the word speaking to the, what the Jews would celebrate about redemption in the wilderness. Let me read a text to, to remind you about this word. And I didn't mark it. Great. Great. I have to flip through pages in front of y'all. Leviticus 23, 40, Leviticus 23, 42. Let me read this text for you to show you what what this booth word is about. It's not just, homie didn't just make uh, a shelter. It has a biblical theological connection. 23, 42, God says, you are to live in booths for seven days. Booths, same word in this text. So Jonah's being reminded about this experience through that word, through that whole little structure in the desert. You are to live in booths for seven days. All the native-born Israels must live in booths. Why? So that your generation may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. So this little shelter was something that a Jew would celebrate regularly to remember that God is the Exodus God who rescues jacked up Jews out of the grip of Pharaoh into the promised land. So Jonah is being told to remember rescue because he's forgot rescue. Let me keep reading. The Lord God appointed a plant. Oh, sorry, one more thing. It says Jonah went east of the city. Bible nerds, what does east mean in the Bible? When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, where do they go? East. When the, when the Tower of Babel people build their tower, where do they go to build it? East. When God exiles the Jews for rebellion, where do they get sent? East. So east is a 
word that has theological meaning, which means it's, it's about how we lived in exile. We lived in farness. We lived in a spiritual desert. And God is the one who rescues us east of Eden back to paradise by grace. That's what east means in the Bible. It's not just east. So east and shelter. So the Lord appointed a plant, and they grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. When it came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. And next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plants, and it withered. Listen. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. Okay, so we need to think, what would Jews who have the whole Bible be understanding when they see east of the city, and this shelter connected to the redemption. They would see what I'm saying to you. And so basically, what God is saying is that, Jonah, you have gone from being a rescued person to a good old law-keeping person. Your identity is not rescue and remember, it's all your doings. You have gone from being the people who are supposed to remember how God did amazing rescuing acts, parted waters, killed Pharaoh's army, and by grace bought you. You forgot that, and now you're all about what you do. And so what you need to do, Jonah, in your pride is to remember what happened by God's actions towards you. And not forget. Listen, you know the person who uh, is, they always never get over what you did to them? Uh, we, 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 we were, I'm dealing with something like that right now. They never, they never get over it. You did this to me. They never get over it. Beloved, that's you before God. You did this to me in Jesus Christ. You rescued me. You raised me. You grabbed me and took me by your blood. You rescued me. Greater than that Exodus picture, you are the true Exodus. You died and rescued me from the eternal waters of judgment, and you brought me out of those waters into your family, justified, forgiven, righteous. I need to remember that and never get over that. We need to remember Remember what God has done. Remember that we were exiled east of God's presence, living in spiritual death. And yet, Jesus came down from heaven and was exiled for us on the cross. And in three hours, he experienced eternal exiles so that we who were far from God, dead, are brought back from the east to the presence of God in fellowship. Y'all got to remember this stuff. The second you stop remembering, you know what? You keep relapsing, and you never get out of that vicious cycle. You always are this proud person because you're always forgetting. Beloved, Christianity is about God regularly reconnecting you with the story of the gospel over and over again so that you can get over your your, your insanity of self-righteousness. It's the only answer. Guys, you know, this is not a guy thing, but women, you know what you guys do to, 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 to brighten your present? My wife does this. I don't get it. You look at pictures of the past. 
You look, oh, look at, look at, look at the baby when she, when she was so little, and you know, and look at this, and and you you keep going back to the past, and somehow it gives you this joy in the present. That's a Christian. We keep going back to the story and pictures of Jesus' perfect life for sinners, his death for sinners, his resurrection for sinners, his ascension and seedness in heaven, in our place for sinners. We keep going back to those pictures, back to that story, and it brings joy and restoration and newness in the presence. We need to remember, beloved, what happened, not just add endless regulations. And by the way, listen, the problem with us is that we forgot we we forget that we are these we we live east of God's presence in a spiritual desert abandoned and just destitute. And you know what God will do when you forget that you were in exile east of God's presence? You know what he'll do? He'll put you in emotional situations, he'll put you in social situations, he'll put you in moral situations where you feel absolutely helpless, hopeless and empty. Why? Because you've forgotten Some of you are in situations that make you feel empty, hopeless, and powerless, and you think that the solution is for you to gain power and leverage in your situation. But actually, actually, Jonah's being put in this desert with this scorching wind, you know, in this helpless, hopeless situation where he's like about to die from the heat so that he remembers his spiritual condition before God apart from grace. And so God will scorch y'all. And bring in a desperation, anxiety, emotional, relational, to remind you that you are the exile who has been rescued by grace. So we need to remember, beloved, as we regularly relapse, not just try to do some other thing. Beloved, you know what? Because we know, you know what happens when people remember? They become grateful. Grateful. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're so amazing. You're so kind when we remember. When we're forgetful, we become good old, nice people who are always elevating ourselves over others. So we must remember. Here's another thing that I see here. What, what, what is God's solutions to our relapse? What do we need? We need to be about persons, not things. Persons, not things. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? Yes, it's right. You killed my plants, I should die. Yo, he's saying that you should kill 120,000 people. And he's saying, kill me because you killed my plant. That's us. That's us. God says, but look what God says. Should I not care? About the great, the, the word care is compassion, that, 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 that word that speaks about God's mercy and grace towards people like us. Should I not have compassion to the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people? So here's Jonah's problem. Here's our problem. He loves his people's prosperity. He loves his personal prosperity. He loves his situational niceness more than he loves people. And we're like that, you know, right? If you're honest, some of y'all care about your image, religious image, and physical image more than you care about a person. Some of y'all care more about how your house looks than how the people in your house, the people in your house. Correct? You don't go there? 
Some of you care more about your lists and your errands than image bearers on a regular basis. Churches oftentimes care more about buildings, budgets, and programs more than the people there. Correct? Y'all can talk. Can I get some amens, Uh uh-huh, something like, you know, come on. Yes, no. Preach it. Some. Too quiet up in here. Some of us care more about how you dress and how you sing songs. Some of you care more about your, your, your political party. Some of you care more about mission, vision, and value statements than you care about people. But guess what? God is all about people. What did Jesus die for? Did he die for your house? Did he he hide for your to-do list? Did he die for the shape of your house or your living room? Did he die for your budgets? No, Jesus died for people. He stood in the place of God's wrath for souls, names, people. What does that mean? That's what God's about. Not about stuff, not about things, but people, actual people. Jesus' death is all about people. So we love stuff, and God's like, you know what I love? I love people. Jonah loves the status of his nation, the status of, his, of even like the weather. And God's like, I love people. And guess what? That means that God loves us ridiculous Jonah folk. He loves you in your Jonah pride, self-righteousness. So what do we do? What do we do? Now, this is, this is, this is the, the next thing. Well, I'm just restating it. We need to let the grace of God bring us to value people more than stuff. People more than stuff. And here's the last point. This is a short message. Well, at least it's supposed to be, but you know how that is. Here's the last thing we need in light of our relapse is we need to be about rescue, not just reality. Rescue, not just reality. So listen, Jonah sees Nineveh, and what, all, he, all he sees is reality. Yo, these people foul. These people violent. These people scandalous. These people are pagan. These people are godless. That's all he sees. And that's true, right? But God's like, I see Nineveh differently. You see reality, I see rescue. And I think that's something that is so vital for us to embrace and understand is that we need to see reality through redemptive saving lenses. So here's what it looked like. We see people in bondage to sin, and you know what God sees? The power of the gospel to break chains. We see dead, lifeless corpses, spiritually speaking. You know what God sees? Resurrection by the resurrection of Christ. We see guilty, condemned sinners. God sees forgiven, justified, 
reconciled sinners through my son's perfect life and death. We see people far from God, way out there, raunchy spiritually. God sees reconciliation by Christ, the mediation of him living in their law place and bridging the gap. We see impossibility. We see no way. God sees sovereignty and power and ability by the Spirit of God and the gospel. Beloved, we need to see the world through the lens of rescue, not just reality. Make sense? But we just, we just always just see just reality. And we don't see the lens of rescue. You know, one time there was this kid uh, looking uh, at a woman in a grocery store. And she was dressed very inappropriate. You guys can figure out what that means, okay? And the dad starts talking to the child. And, and he's looking. And the, the dad asks, hey, what's wrong with her? So that woman needs Jesus. You know what we would say? What's wrong with her? She's immoral. She needs to be moral, right? But the child saw an immoral woman, and what he saw was the need for Jesus to rescue. You see the difference? Don't walk around and see sin in your house. Sin in your family, sin in your blocks, sin in your neighborhoods, sin in this city. Do not walk around with this just reality perspective. See the lens of rescue. Don't just see sin. See the need for a savior. Don't just see wrong. See the need for right through Jesus. Don't just see the ugliness but see the beauty and ability for God to take every chaotic, nasty canvas of sin and rewrite it in the ocean of his gracious death and resurrection. Amen? Don't just see things from reality's perspective, beloved. See rescue. Amen? All right. So here's... My application points. Here is my recircling and landing the plane. So listen. If our need is dialogue, not doing or more doing, then we should be talking to God more about our sinfulness and our pride and I'm better than people and talking about other people's sins less. You hear what I just said? You should be talking to God about your pride. Santiago, Rebecca, Caro, Randy, Kevin, Tanya. Okay, I said enough names. You should be talking about Aldo, Pat, John. I see you, homie. You should be talking about your pride to your dad more than talking about other people's problems. Talk to God, beloved. Like, have, you ever done like, have you ever sat before your father who wants to listen to you, who, who delights to hear your voice and be like, Dad, 
I know they got this. I know they got that. I know that. But I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, the real living God, not the idea, but the real God about my problems. And God's like, I've been here waiting for you the whole time. Love it. Talk to God, beloved, about your self-righteous more than talking about others about their unrighteousness. Secondly, if our need is self-awareness more than others' awareness, then we should be smelling our own sin stench more than others. Listen, if you are more aware of the sins of the people in your house than yours, then something's really jacked up in your God radar. You understand what I'm saying? You should be more aware of your stench of sin than others if you're really getting the gospel. Now, here's a problem. And forgive me for the picture, but I think it's helpful. Um, There's things that come out of our, our body that are smelly, right? And when you do your own noises or smells, it don't bother you too much, right? You're so used to it. Right, Sammy? You're used to your own. (laughs) You're used to your own farts. Okay. Well, I'll leave that to Tanya and Lewis. If that's true, you got to go to the hospital, girl, right now. (laughs) All right, man. But when you smell someone else's things, it smells horrendous, correct? What does that mean, beloved? You can't smell your junk. Someone's got to smell it for you. Someone has to say, yo, this is your issue problem because you can't smell it. So when people smell it and they tell it to you, listen. Don't be like, yo, it's not that bad. I don't smell it. It don't matter. Sin (laughs) That's what sin does. It gets you used to your junk. But we need help. So let's help each other. Because we can smell other people's stuff, even though we can't. Amen? Amen? All right. All right. Be more aware of your sin. Listen, here's here's one more application. You know how married people are? Yeah, like that couple, that couple and their kids, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at that, look at, look at that. Like, and couples just walk around, and they're just always aware about all the other couples. Like, look at what they do, look how they raise their kids. Be aware of your marriage's sins first, right? Not just all the time, look at me, me and my wife, and our, we're awesome. No, no, be aware of your need for Jesus. Not just hyper aware of everybody else's jacked up marriages. Um, amen, 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 okay? All right, next thing. If our need is more grace, not less, then we should stop creating a reality on the ground that, doesn't, that makes reality uh, in the air impossible. Stop creating a reality on the ground that makes reality before, before God impossible. So this, 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 this is what I hear you guys say. You know what? I'm done with grace because it just doesn't work, you know, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring the grace of Jesus and his mercy into this situation. Forget it. I'm just going to, I'm going to shame. I'm going to fan out. I'm going to push. I'm going to prod. I'm going to beat. I'm going to, I'm going to do that because forget that stuff. Now let me ask you a question. What would happen to Jonah if God took that position? 
What happened to Jonah if God takes that same attitude on the ground that you got? What would happen? Barbecue, shish kebab, holla at your boy. So let me ask you a question, beloved. If it doesn't work like this, why do you think it's going to work like this? If it don't work here, it ain't going to work here. So make this align with this, beloved. More grace in the need and jacked upness in your places. Because it's the grace of God that teaches us to what? Someone say that with me. Teaches us to what? Renounce ungodliness. What teaches you to renounce your pride and I'm better? It is the grace of God. The grace of unmotivated one-way affection in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So if it doesn't work like this, it ain't going to work like this. Okay? First, fourthly, if we need remembrance, not just more regulations, we need to turn, we need, we need to remember the story more than the daily news of our lives. Let me, let me, let me, let me show you what it looks like. You go to Facebook, and everyone's always talking about the daily news, right? And, and when you interact with me, what you're always doing, right? Well, you know what, like this day, like, you know, this per- my kid did this, and, and this day, like, my spouse didn't do this, and this, you, do, you, do, you know, do, you, do you know what this, you know, these people on this side of the, of, the, of the building did to me? And you know what we always do? We always play in the daily news, okay? And you know what's interesting? When I hear people talk about church problems, what I notice is that people are competing with different news channels of what happened. You know what I'm talking about? So one group of people saying like, well, you know, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you did this. And, and the other person saying, actually, you did this, you did this, you did this, right? Right? We always on some, like, you, you, we always on some daily news channel. But what do we learn from this story? You don't need to be regularly playing your story daily news, but you got to be living from that redemptive Christ cross glorious story. Get over the daily news. It's boring. Your news channel is boring. It's not, there's nothing there. But Jesus, cross, resurrection, story, channel, remembered, is colossally awesome. Beloved, I love you. Turn your daily news off and remember and remember and then bring that story into this present. We need to be doing that. Beloved, if we need to be about persons, not things, then we should be very personal in our Christ-centeredness. Listen, let me, let me just be very, very, very on the ground clear. God is more concerned with people than your errands. God is more concerned with people than your to-do list. God is more concerned than your, with people than your R&R. You know, like, I just want to be lax. That's so important. God is more concerned with people than how much is in your bank account. He's more concerned with people than how much traffic you have to go in on a daily basis. He's more concerned with people than your exercise routines. He's more concerned with people than your diets. I'm not saying don't be concerned about those things, but understand, if every day of my life, what is God's greatest concern? It's people made in his image. Everything else is way down the list. Here examples. I've heard people in this church say, I reached out to a brother, and I really needed them to help me. And they said, well, you know, I, I got to go to Walmart and, and Costco and Target. Yo, Jesus did not die for your Costco runs. 
He died for that brother in need. Not your Walmart run. Got to get that brown sugar ran out. He cares mostly about bodies, souls, names. So let's repent and act like it through Jesus. Amen? One more thing. If, and this is kind of like the end. Of, if you want to hear, what's, 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 the, what's the crescendo and end of Jonah? Here it is. What is the point? If we need to be about rescue, not reality, we need to start seeing Miami the way God sees Miami. So Jonah, what was his problem? He wasn't buying the gospel that he was selling. If we're buying the gospel we're selling, right? And after we buy the gospel we sell, we're selling it. So what are we selling? Christ. What are we buying? Christ. We should be looking around Miami in light of the fact that every single broken, sinful situation is an opportunity for Jesus to magnify the power of his rescue. So listen, some of y'all got some some problems in your marriage. You know what? You know how you should see that? Man, these are things that Jesus, by the power of his grace, can rewrite. Not this marriage sucks. Some of y'all have relational tensions with parents and, 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 and siblings and friends, and all you see is reality. These people are nasty. These people are prideful. These people are shady. Don't shade. We should see, no, these are situations where the conquering power of the resurrected Lord can just come in there and rewrite it. Amen? We should be looking. Beloved, I, I, I get so frustrated when I hear the way Christians talk about Miami. Oh, Miami's so dark. Oh, God is sovereign. And, uh, you know, like, oh, there's just, there's just too much darkness. There's just too much devil. There's too much. Do, do you think, beloved, that Jesus is on the throne biting his nails about Miami depravity? Man, I don't know what I'm going to do over there with Alapata. Alapata people, they're kinda, they kind of grew up hard, you know? I don't know about them, you know, the Richmond Heights folk. I don't know about them rich, you know, <laughs> money-loving Doral folks. I don't know. Father, what do you think? That's not a Trinitarian conversation. God looks at Miami and its darkness and its brokenness, and he says, I have the sovereign power of omnipotence to claim any broken soul whenever I want. And I want my people to believe a God like that in this city and preach a God like that in this city. When we buy the power of one-way grace, we preach and we say, God, you are bigger than the depravity of this city. You are bigger than the sins of our marriage. You are the Lord of glory. We confidently come in this city and say, rescue. Not just, oh, well, reality. I don't care about reality, and it is God. So You know what? I don't care, beloved, if we are in this theater with no big growth, I still believe in a God who does what he wants. I'm not going to not believe that because the soil is hard. God, in your timing, crack the face of Miami with true gospel revival. But we got to buy it. We got to buy it. We got to buy this gospel that we sell him. I heard a... 
I heard a, a pastor um, in a conference I was at say, yo, there's a saying in the streets that says you got you to gotta smoke what you're selling. Okay? Now, obviously, that's not a good thing for us. But in our Christian world, we got to buy and take in what we're selling. We have to receive Jesus first and hide in Jesus first, be washed in Jesus first, be comforted and consoled and hidden in Jesus first before we ever think about selling something that we're not needing, beloved. So let me pray and move us to the table. Father, I pray that, that we would buy what we sell and that we would sell what we buy, and that is Christ, Jesus alone, his life, his death, his resurrection. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help me, God, please. Help me. Help me. Help me to stop preaching sermons about the gospel and living such a self-righteous life behind the scenes and just, just being this proud, self-impressed dude. Help me to buy the gospel that you empowered me to sell. Help us all, beloved. Help us all, Father, to buy the gospel we sell. Help us not to be salesmen, but desperate gospel reliers lord please thank you for the jonah story giving us clarity and hope about where we're where we go where we should go and and what you do in it all in jesus name amen that concludes our message and we hope that you were inspired by it if you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about reconciled church miami please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website reconcilechurchmiami.org